Tonight's reading is from James chapter 3, verse 1 to 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth, come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This is God's word. My name is Phil, I'm the Associate Minister. Keep your Bibles open, let's pray, and then we'll get into it. Our Father God, please would the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts, as we hear your word tonight, be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. So the first proper interview I had as an adult... It was a city law firm and dark room. I was sat there, two partners on the other side of the table grilling me, bright lamps shining in my face. I'm making that up, but it felt like it. It was, it was quite an intimidating interview, an hour of grilling on legal questions. And then the, the partners turned to the, the, the sort of list of questions HR had given them uh, to you know, get to know me as a person. And the senior partner asked me, uh, what would you say is your worst characteristic? And without even thinking, I just said, answering stupid questions. (laughs) And the junior partner just shook his head. The senior partner just stared at me and folded his arms for 30 seconds without saying anything. I hadn't meant to say it. I was trying to be professional. It just kind of just slipped out job gone. I mean, I don't know whether they'd have given me the job. I don't know whether I'd shown them enough to, to have earned the job before that, but I certainly wasn't getting it after it. How about you? How careful are you with your mouth? 
Do you ever find uh, your, your mouth gets you into trouble? Do you ever find that words you regret, they somehow escape before you can close your lips, stop them? Our words are not neutral. They have enormous power to either bless or bring damage. And our words, they determine the direction of our lives to a large extent, as we'll see. They matter. They matter to you, because what you say shapes who you are. They matter to others because of the impact you have. But most importantly, our words matter to God. And so I suspect all of us need to listen very carefully to the warnings that James has told us in chapter 3. Now, we're, we're back in James, and he is teaching that real faith in the real Jesus has to make a real difference in the way you live. That's what James's message is. And the key statement about speech, about which he has a lot to say, came back in chapter 1, verse 26, when he said, Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. And he expands on that now in chapter 3. And what we'll see... Firstly, is that, look, how we speak matters to God. It's the first thing we've got to get into our heads this evening, really, is that how we speak, it really matters to God. Verse 1. Not my favourite verse in the Bible, it must be said. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Point is, not, don't become a ministry intern, don't become a, a small group leader, don't teach in Sunday school. The, Unless you're perfect, because that kind of rules out everybody. All of us are ruled out by that. The, the point is, don't take lightly the responsibility of handling God's word, of representing his truth to his people. Don't take it lightly. Teachers need to be doubly careful, but James speaks more broadly. You'll see in, in verse 2 he addresses anyone, anyone. And remember... James's warning about our tongues tonight applies just as much to our fingers in the culture we live in, where perhaps half of the, the content, the words that we produce, come from typing rather than just speaking. Now the problem, though, uh, with teaching God's word, the problem in verse 1, is that the main tool of ministry is words, is speaking. And all of us sin with our speech. Verse 2, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Now that is extraordinary when you think about it. I mean, think of all the different bits of my body I can use to sin. I, I can think sinful thoughts in my head. I can nurture sinful desires in my heart. I can use my feet to, to walk towards places I really shouldn't go and away from responsibilities that I should be attending to. I can use my hands to hit or to click, to grab and to steal. I can use my eyes to lust and to envy. All these different bits of my body. And yet, and yet James says, if you manage to control your speech, you're perfect. Why? Well, because pretty much every other one of the 640 or so muscles in your body is easier to control than the one inside your mouth. And so if you've got that in check, well, you're probably doing fine on all the others. But pause before we go on. Why is God so bothered about it? I mean, when you think about all the sins I commit, why is God so you know, concerned about my speech? You'd have thought that would be way down the list of priorities. 
Well, James doesn't tell us here, but Jesus does when he teaches in Matthew 12, 34. The mouth speaks from what the heart is full of. In other words, when you open your mouth, it's what's in your heart that bubbles out. And so when I speak the whole time, and especially all about me, I show that actually I'm at the center of my universe, that I'm self-obsessed and selfish, and that I think that other people hearing from me well, I'm more valuable. Who cares what they have to say? When I gossip or I'm not careful with the secrets of others, did you hear? It shows a lack of love, to be perfectly honest. It shows I don't care what the impact will be on this person. I just want to enjoy telling you this thing. It's too juicy. Or worse still, my gossip is often driven, if we're honest, by... Well, by envy and bitterness, I love to share stories that bring them down a peg or two because it just makes me feel better about myself because they are above me. Or it reveals an ugly insecurity that I, I want to be the one who's on the inside, the one who's in the know, the one who is the, the, the person people come to for the secrets, for the information, for the gossip. When I lie to protect myself, Oh, I, I sent it. Now, we've been having lots of Wi-Fi outages. Oh, yeah, I, I sent it yesterday before close of play. When I do that, it shows I love me and my reputation a lot more than I love the truth. Well, still, for a Christian, it shows I care more about what other people think of me than what God thinks, because he can, he can see that I've lied, but who cares what he thinks, so long as I manage to, to make other people think that I didn't do that. When I tell filthy jokes and swear, it shows that actually, in my heart, I delight in what is ugly. When I boast and exaggerate to make me look good, it shows, well, I've never really learned that the God who created all the cosmos looks on me, loves me, and accepts me unconditionally. And so I desperately need to bolster my ego with the affirmation of others. You see, our speech reveals where our hearts are spiritually, just as our accent probably reveals where we're from geographically. And so James says in verses 1 to 2, control your tongue. And now in the rest of the passage, he's going to drive it home and give us some more reasons. So why do I need to control my tongue? Why does it matter so much? Well, firstly, verses 3 to 6, our tongues, they control our lives. We get three colorful little illustrations here. Firstly, the horse and the ship. So James 3, verse 3. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal, or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Now, not all of us had ponies when growing up, so perhaps I should explain. Uh, the bit is the little bit of metal, the little metal rod, goes into the horse's mouth and gets attached to the bridle. And wherever you pull, it turns the head of the horse and the horse goes that way. Massive, powerful horse, but a tiny little rider can control the whole thing with the tiny little bit in the mouth. Or the, uh, the, the ship. I didn't have a pony, but I did sail in a tall ship's race when I was a teenager. And the rudder is, well, it's just a, the, the flat bit of wood that goes into the sea. And the first night in the tall ships, as a, as a wee little 15-year-old, I was on the helm, which is the steering wheel for the ship, you landlubbers. And uh, the, we're in a big storm, and yet even weedy little 15-year-old me, who could barely see over the wheelhouse, was able to control this massive ship in the, 
in the breaking waves and the strong winds because the wheel controlled the little rudder and the rudder steered the ship. Little things, total enormous influence on the direction that you go. That's what the tongue's like. Now, the, the bit and the rudder, they're neutral. You can use them to steer towards things you should be going towards or towards things you shouldn't. But in the third illustration, again, a small thing with a big impact. James now shows us the destructive impact that the tongue can have. Look at verse 5. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire. Now, a couple of years ago, uh, some bored, malicious, weird person started posting um, ridiculous, fantastical things on the internet, conspiracy theories about uh, some paedophile ring in the US government. Uh, They called themselves Q, and they were just profoundly silly words. I mean, who knows whether they were deluded or mischievous or really malicious. They were just words in some chat room in the ether. But the spark caused a terrible fire. Ultimately, it led to an attempted coup in the largest democracy, the most powerful nation on earth, and five people were killed. Little words spoken in the ether, huge impact in the real world. That's what the tongue does. Now, on a personal level, I guess we've all seen this principle a little bit more in the previous months of lockdown. We've all seen it in our lives. The secret, just, oh, it's just too juicy to keep. And so we told just one other person. Still a secret if I only tell one other person, right? (laughs) And now, relationships ruined. Uh, The little lie, well, it just made life easier. I had no, I didn't think it could be discovered. And now our reputation is in tatters. The offensive joke we forwarded on without thinking, and next week we face a disciplinary hearing. The impatient, irritable comment that just exploded out in the heat of an argument. And there's a distinct chill where once there was a really warm friendship. The words that you speak have an enormous influence on the direction of your life. And the words may just evaporate into the ether after you've spoken them. But just as the spark that sets the forest fire is long gone and the fire still blazing, so the words can have a lasting impact. Now, I guess we all get that. We've seen that so often in our lives, haven't we? But what James says next, well, we find that a bit shocking, I think. Verse 6, the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. How on earth can the fires of hell be just punishment for just, you know, saying some stuff? I mean, that just seems wildly out of proportion. But remember what Jesus said in Matthew 12. The words reveal the heart. And if the stuff that spews out from my mouth reveals that my heart is selfish, godless, impure, unkind and dishonest, then what on earth do I think is going to happen when I stand before Almighty God on Judgment Day? 
the stuff you speak, the stuff I speak, it both demonstrates and determines the direction of your life. The stuff we speak demonstrates and determines the direction of our lives. Now, the contents of my speech, it may reveal actually whether I've really been born again. It certainly reveals whether I'm pursuing godliness, sanctification, or not. Our tongues, they they do control our lives. But secondly, the problem is we can't control our tongues, as verse 7 to 8 tell us. We struggle to control them. Verse 7, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. It's a stunning image when you think about it. He's saying, look, it'd be a whole lot easier to control this 10-ton elephant than to have the metaphorical duct tape ability to just stop your mouth when you need to. Now, his point in verse 8 is not that our tongues only ever speak evil when he says it's a restless evil. He makes that clear in 9 to 12, that we can also say lots of good things. Rather, his his point is, look, yeah, but there just always seems to be something unkind, inappropriate, nasty, hurtful, foul, just ready to slip out. We always seem to be saying stuff that we just know we'll regret. Reminds me of a, perhaps the most famous Far Side cartoon of all. Have you seen it? Uh, this time I won't screw up, this time I won't screw up, this time I won't screw up. Roger screws up. And that, is our, that is us trying to control our mouths. Um, a couple of years ago, a professor called Kenneth Story at the University of Tampa posted a tweet just after Hurricane Harvey in Texas Uh, massive destruction, and he just tweeted, instant karma for voting Republican. And, oh, he realized, yeah, that was pretty stupid. That's not funny, is it? And so he deleted it. Problem was, he couldn't stop himself from tweeting it. And by the time he deleted it, it had been screenshotted, shared, and that was his reputation and his job, gone. Oh, he just couldn't stop himself. I wonder how many of us have learned the hard way that we really struggle to control our tongues. I think actually in some ways it's lockdown has only made it harder. Uh, Spending uh, those of us with housemates, families we live with, suddenly just much more time and no space to escape. Or speaking much more regularly on the phone to family and, and over the months the frustrations can grow a little. And we know, I know I shouldn't say it. I know what impact it'll have. Uh, Perhaps we even pray before the conversation and then it's gone and we're reaching for the words, but they've already landed. Impatient, irritable, cutting, cynical comments. They just spill out. It's quite a depressing thing that James tells us none of us control our tongues. Not perfectly. Not all the time. Let me, do, let me just offer one, uh, one practical bit of hope, though, at this point, which is you can control a little bit more what ends up on your social media feed or in your WhatsApp groups or out on your emails. Can I just encourage you to develop a habit of pausing for 10 seconds before hitting send? And in those 10 seconds, 
Why not pray these words from Psalm 19 on the screen? May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord. Just ask yourself, before I hit send, are these words and the heart attitude that they express going to please God? It's the wonderful thing about typing is actually you do have an opportunity to catch them. So develop that habit. Develop the habit. Just a few seconds pause to pray. Lastly, uh, potty mouth praise is a disgrace. I think actually this last section is probably the most convicting for us. Certainly I found it deeply convicting. He says, look, how on earth can a mouth that sings the praises of God on Sunday spew forth some of the things that come out of it later in the week? The gossiping, the bickering, the lying, the nastiness. How can this be? Verse 9. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. He looks around and thinks, I just can't see anything else like it. I mean, you, when you go to, to drink from a tap at home, you don't find uh, one gulp, oh, lovely fresh London tap water. Only been through six other people. Delicious. And then next, oh gosh, that's salt water. How did that, it just, it can't happen. The, one spring can't produce both salt and spring water at the same time. Or uh, you, you don't pick a tasty apple from a tree, buy it from Tesco. You, you don't pick a, a tasty apple from a tree and then pick another one and find, oh, that's a poisonous berry. One tree can't produce it. It produces the same fruit. So how on earth can I use my mouth to praise God one moment and then the next moment just curse or cut down or insult or gossip about someone who's been made in the image of the God I was just praising. It's utterly illogical and it's deeply perverse, God says. In the Old Testament, the utensils and the, the priests and Levites who served in the temple, they were consecrated. That is, they were set aside. You only used them for temple things because you can't just use them for other stuff once they've been used to serve God. I mean, you know, Sunday morning, um, the restrictions of the numbers going down to the loo. So, you, you know, there's a small child caught short and, uh, Daddy, I really need the loo. I need the loo. Oh, uh, oh, we can't go down to the loo. I'll tell you what, look, here's a communion cup. Just, just use that. No, 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 no. I'm sorry, but no, that, that's a communion cup. It's not just the hygiene. It's just, no, that's just wrong. And yet every time... Every time I tell a smutty joke, every time I lie to make myself look good or to avoid things I don't want, every time I cut someone down just because I've lost my rag, I'm doing exactly that. Now, Ken's story, he lost his job. He regretted and deleted his tweet almost as soon as he'd posted it. Didn't matter. Condemned, judged, sacked. The, I was listening to somebody um, who pointed me to this tweet from the New York Times columnist Elizabeth Breunig recently, and she talks about the toxic nature of a culture that, that 
it demands endless punishment for wrong things we say, but there's no prospect of forgiveness. She said, there's just something unsustainable about an environment that demands constant atonement, but actively disdains the very idea of forgiveness. You said something offensive 10 years ago. You regret it and you've changed. Tough, doesn't matter. You must be punished and your punishment must carry on. Look at the heart of Christianity in the gospel. There is a much, much better way of dealing with our speech. When Abel is murdered, the first death, the first murder in the Bible, in Genesis 4, God says his blood cries out from the ground for justice. But then at the other end of the Bible, the writer to the Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 12, 24, that the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. His blood, his death, cries out for our forgiveness. Our words, well, they cry out for our punishment, if we're honest. If we've listened to what James has said tonight, I think all of us would have to agree. The words I've typed and spoken, they cry out for my punishment. Other people will tell us, yes, you must be condemned. That seems to be our culture's way. But Jesus' blood shed on the cross cries out for your forgiveness for your cleansing, for your justification. I can't take away the human consequences of what you've said in the past. You may have said or written things that have or will cause enormous damage for you yourself or for other people. And you may need to make amends for that. But Jesus offers you eternal forgiveness. Now, in the light of that, seek to speak better. Seek to speak better. You know, we should all, we should all think tonight, how, how do I, I in particular need to get a better rein on my tongue? Is it what I post online? Is it joining office grumbling about the boss? Is it flattery with people whose approval I crave? Is it the brutal things I just let rip when I'm arguing? Pray for the help of God's Holy Spirit as a forgiven sinner. Now, James also, you'll notice he focuses really on the negative here, warning us that bad speech reveals we're heading in the wrong direction and we're heading towards judgment. But don't forget, your tongue has huge power to bless too. So use it well. Speak words of encouragement afterwards to build others up. Even if you can't chat in, in the way we used to, you can text, you can call to encourage. Speak words of reconciliation. I am sorry. I forgive you. I wonder if you need to say either of those things tonight. Best of all, speak the gospel, words about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that can bring forgiveness and eternal life. Now, our words, they're shaped by the people we spend time with. You see it with accents. Do you remember last week, uh, Costa, one of the most English people of all time, who was the first minister here. But for the last 15 years, he's been out in New Zealand um, church planting. And uh, when he uh, did his video piece for, um, for the uh, World Focus Sunday, it was, oh, wow. I'm just off for some fush and chops. And so, well, this, this Kiwi accent just appeared. Like, Costa, what's happened to you? He's been in New Zealand for 15 years, surrounded by others speaking that way. If you wanted God to change, not your accent, but the words you speak, then you need to spend more time surrounded by God's word, marinated in God's word. 
Fill your mind and heart with his words and with people who encourage you to do so. Soak yourself in them rather than letting your speech just be shaped by your friends or our secular contemptuous culture or, or work environment. Let the words of scripture change your words for the good of others and for the glory of God.